Do you want to become a better songwriter? Well, we created a very simple 10-minute songwriter personality test, and it's going to help you better understand who you are as a writer, and it's going to help you in the writer's room when you're writing with other writers, because you're going to be able to identify what kind of writer they are, maybe even have them take the songwriter personality test. If you're curious and you want to take the songwriter personality test today, just visit songwriterpersonalitytest.com or go to the link on the writingworship.co website. This is the Brave Podcast, awakening dreams, purpose, and songs. Brave exists to encourage, resource, and connect brave women around the world for the glory of God. Hey everybody, it's Chrissy. I'm super excited on the podcast today to have with us Annalie Lepteson. And um, she comes to us from Canada. I'm going to let her tell you a little bit more about herself. But we got connected via Facebook. It was actually uh, Robbie Valderrama, I think, that commented on some of her research and um, tagged me. And um, of course, a big part of my passion and a big part of the passion of brave worship in general is to support female songwriters, specifically in the genre of worship. And that's exactly the area that she has done her research on. Um, And so I wanted her to come on today and be able to share what she found. And as she told me, numbers don't lie. So it's really just Um, It's been an interesting thing to think about just looking at it from a pure number standpoint. Um, And she has a lot of thoughts and I know we are all going to have questions for her. So as we go through, if you're listening to this as a podcast, we're also doing it as a live Zoom broadcast. So those of you that have questions, feel free to type your questions into the chat area and we will all be watching those as they come through. Um, We've also got a couple of panelists joining us today with some really great questions. We have Stacey Riddle um, in the D.C. area, and then we have Rachel Barantine. Did I say it right? I mess it up every time. (laughs) Barantine. Okay, Rachel Barantine. I've only known her for like eight years. Um, (laughs) It's all good, girl. Oh, you're lucky. I got yours right, Annalie. I think you did. You're good. Okay. Okay. So Rachel's here in Nashville and um, they're both amazing songwriters and have um, great things that they do on their own as well. Um, But to kick us off today, Annalie, can you tell us just a little bit about your story and how you ended on this kind of trail of following this research? And then maybe tell us a little bit about what it, what it says, what you found. Absolutely. Well, to start off, thank you so much for having me. This is such a privilege to be joining you and to be kind of seeing this Brave Worship community. You're doing amazing things. So I'm just so pumped to be joining you today and to be able to share this with you. Um, Yeah, I can give you a little bit of context. Uh, My background, like Chrissy said, I'm Canadian. I live about an hour outside of Toronto, um, or that's where I grew up. My parents, uh, my dad's a pastor, my mom's a chaplain. So I have a lot of memories of worshiping together as a family early on, um, and also doing some songwriting as a kid. And so I think I've always kind of had a heart for songwriters and have have um, kind of wondered what goes on behind the scenes and how folks get their songs heard. That's been something I've kind of always been interested in as I've kind of explored songwriting myself. Um, 
So I am also a pianist. That's what I've done a lot of my education in. And so I did my undergrad degree in music ministry and piano performance at a, a small Christian university in Winnipeg. Um, and I feel really lucky that I was able to do my education there because it allowed me to kind of explore contemporary worship music in an academic setting. So I took courses on it um, and, you know, was in a worship band for credit. Um, and so kind of got to kind of see the academic side of the, the subject, but then also really think about um, women's involvement in church leadership and in church um, kind of behind the scenes and, and where are women in our churches. Um, and so this, the school that allowed me to kind of hold both. And I think that's really where I started wondering about where are women songwriters? Who are they? What's their experience like? Um, and so then I did my master's in piano performance at the University of Ottawa. And so I just finished that like two weeks ago uh, and, and was drawn there for the piano teacher and the piano experience and had a, a really good experience, but also um, my eyes were kind of open to data analysis there. Um, and so I, I took a course with a woman named Dr. Jada Watson um, and was able to kind of explore her methodology. She does a lot of work with country music and gender. Um, and so knows so much about how to go about compiling data on this kind of thing. And so was really, really blessed to be able to study with her. Um, and as part of, part of my degree, I applied to a big government grant um, that I originally thought was going to be on, what I applied for was going to be looking at um, women composers in Canadian piano curriculums, uh, which now like seems so much more boring than what I'm doing. Uh, but then when I got to school in the fall, uh, someone else was doing a really similar project and I started to feel like maybe this isn't the project that I want to be doing. Um, and so talked to Jada and it just totally perfectly worked out for me to, instead of using this government grant to look at women composers, to look at women songwriters in contemporary worship music. And I think that was just the greatest blessing that it worked out for me to, to kind of switch my focus because I think already the impact um, that having some of these numbers, it, it's just been really huge and being able to have a, a good conversation about these things and has also opened the door then for me to be able to do my PhD at the University of Ottawa, looking even more in depth into this research. Um, so, and so specifically, what is your um, doctorate going to be focused on? Can you, can you? Sure. So it's a PhD in interdisciplinary music research. So it's a new kind of PhD. There aren't very many around there that exist, but what it allows me to do is to look at music and to look at theology and religion uh, and to kind of hold both of those. And so that's what draws me to it. In addition to being able to continue to study with Dr. Watson. Um, so uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be looking at women in contemporary worship music, looking at the songwriters and looking at what are, um, barriers that they face, what are ways that women can overcome these barriers, what's been the history of women in songwriting, um, is the challenge different now than it was 30 years ago, um, what are kind of external factors, um, who are our amazing women songwriters, what are their stories, what have been their successes, and what have been the things that have been difficult, um, and so at this point I haven't started my doctor yet so I can't speak exactly into how it'll be focused but that's definitely the area that I'm going to be exploring um, and so I'm really really looking into diving in deeper um, I've seen one of the really amazing things that has happened since I shared um, an infographic with some of my data on Facebook is there have been so many theories emerging about why the numbers are the way they are and it's actually really exciting for me because at this point 
kind of prior to starting the research into what, you know, I've done the research into what the numbers are. And I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but there are a lot of questions about why the numbers are this way. And that's what's been really exciting to watch unfold is everyone's different theories. And I think at this point, you know, it's a mixture of things. And so it's just been exciting to bring our experiences together and talk about why this is the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a little overview of the numbers. Um, basically, if, you, if you've seen my infographic, I know Christy's shared it. Um, basically, it, when we start out, we see that in the first year, 1988, that was the first year that CCLI um, published their top 25 lists. And in that year, we see that there were about 30% of the songwriters um, were women, uh, which is a pretty good number. As far as women in music go, that's, that's pretty commendable. Um, and then we look at it now and, and we see that 4% of women on that list are, um, 4% of people on that list are women in terms of women only copyright holders. And that's actually, I mean, it's a little bit misleading. It's one song. The one song that is making up that 4% is Revelation Song by Jenny Lee Riddle, uh, which is a great song. It's a good song to have hold that spot in my opinion. Um, And then we see this other pie section, this yellow section, and that is collaborations between men and women. And so we know that the, and that's 24%. And so we know that in general, contemporary worship music is is looking, is becoming collaboration driven. And actually this Revelation song by Jenny Lee Riddle is not only the song, the only song by a solo woman, it's actually the only song by a solo author on that list. Mm -hmm. All the rest of the songs are collaborations and so theoretically this yellow section is good like women are involved in those collaborations what's discouraging is that we often see it being uh you know it's about 30 percent women within that yellow section so it's not 50 50 um it's it's really women are you often see one woman and three or four men that's kind of the 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 way that shakes down um, and so if you, I mean, if you step back, if you look at 1988 collaborations, 50% men, 50% women in a collaboration. If you look now, it's 92% men in collaborations, 8% women. So that's a different stat than I have on my infographic. That's looking at all of the collaborations that are happening, including men only. 92% men, 8% women. And this uh, is still specifically worship music. This is specifically CCLI. So this CCLI gets its data from what songs churches are singing on a Sunday morning. So it's not really looking at um, contemporary Christian music that's not used in worship, like more radio music. That is not what this is looking at. It's just what's actually used in worship. Um, And again, that's a really good clarification. That list is made up of how often churches report using the song. So it's not a bunch of people in a room being like, what are the top 25 songs this year? It's actually what our church is singing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how we see, we see that data. So I like to think of it as if you have the hundred people who are writing songs for the church in a room, 92 of them are men and there's eight women in that room. Um, and that's just a way of breaking down the percentage that kind of makes sense to me. Um, and so it, it's just a helpful way of thinking about, okay, how can we empower those eight women? Those are amazing. Those women are incredible who are in that room how can we strengthen their ministry how can we make collaborations easier and then how can we encourage them to bring their friends and so that we get more than eight women in the room next time um and so i I think a really important thing when i had a conversation with you earlier um on the phone we talked about how you know we do feel like we both agreed that collaboration is the best and bringing in different perspectives is the best um, and so it is some, there is something beautiful about having both points of view totally. in a song, um, 
just in that weaving and crafting process, but also for the recipients of who's going to be singing that song. Um, and it's not that we're, we're wanting to see the pendulum swing opposite the other way, right? No, absolutely. No, I think it's really powerful and beautiful. And I mean, look at the songs that we've seen. So basically collaboration and solo artists kind of made an X in 2012. We saw solo artists decline and collaborations increase. And in 2012, the numbers switched. That's when we saw more collaborations than solo artists. And you look at the songs that have emerged since 2012 and they're amazing. They're like wonderful songs. And so we want to celebrate those and celebrate the amazing work that's happening in collaborations. Mm -hmm. And just think about how we can make those healthy and comfortable spaces for women to be in. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, and another thing that's interesting, we talked about this too. You know, I had done some research. It was, I think it was numbers from 2018 um, that basically said that the church in the U.S. Um, is made up in the Protestant side of things was made up of over 75% females. So if you're thinking about that, as far as who's singing the songs, you know, a lot of times it's challenging because it'll be male led most of the time um, and written by males in a male key. Yeah. And then delivered to those um, congregations of 75% um, females. So I do think it's important to keep in mind not just keys and um, delivery, but writers too. So, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, have you done research too about? Or tell us maybe some of the theories about why people are, are thinking this has happened. Sure. So like I mentioned before, I'm in this lovely position of being able to hold all of these theories and not having, not having really done the research to see which ones are, are true. So, I mean, that'll be a huge part of my doctoral research. But for now, it's just kind of any theory probably has, has um, value. And I mean, I think it's a whole bunch of factors. And so I think... I think everyone's different perspectives play into this. So one of the ones that kind of intrigued me early on um, was the theory that, um, which I got from someone who works at Duke, who studies contemporary worship music at Duke, uh, basically suggesting that contemporary worship music in its early days was piano driven. And we often associate piano with being a more feminine instrument. And then we saw the shift into guitar driven, um, which we often associate as a more masculine instrument. And of course, there are outliers who break that, you know, gender assignment. That's not it's just kind of generally how society has seen those two instruments. And so partly wondering if maybe, maybe that shift to guitar driven shifted it to being more male driven. Um, other theories. Well, I, I mean, I'm curious to hear from our panelists. I know they have some ideas as well. I think, yeah. I think the collaborations thing with any collaboration, anytime I collaborate, I often choose my friends. And so we started out seeing more men and then men invited their friends. Um, and it, it, it's a lot of work to collaborate with someone that's not in your immediate circle, I find, right? It's a lot of work to go that extra mile and find someone new to bring in to the conversation. And so I think partly it's been convenience. Um, there's also been discussion about kind of the logistics of songwriting with a man and a woman and, and a lot of the kind of theories around the Billy Graham rule of not wanting men and women not wanting to be alone in a room together, mm -hmm. um, which is so kind of important for songwriting and so wondering whether that plays into it um and then you know other theories like ones that have even emerged in this community women being mothers and not being able to go on the road for touring and that's super you know at this point you look at the the people who are making it to the top of the list and they are touring they have big tour schedules mm -hmm. um and so whether that's actually sustainable um 
you know, like there's just a whole combination of theories. Uh, and I think it's, I think it's all of them. I think it's a whole bunch of factors. And I'm really curious to talk to more women songwriters and see what they think the barrier for them has been. Cause it's certainly not one size fits all. What, what has been limiting for you might not have been limiting for me. Um, and so I'm excited to see, to, to hear from people what they think, what they think has been, has been contributing to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Stace and Rach, feel free to jump in. I know you both had some thoughts and questions. I have a thought about, uh, I put this comment out on the brave worship thing, but just that technology has grown so much music and technology are going together. Like, uh, modern worship leaders and modern worship, um, programs in churches are then, you know, they're using Ableton and tracks and even the worship tracks so that they have a band of four people, but they sound like 30 because they have the five extra electric guitarists, you know, playing behind them to the click tracks and things and good or bad, whatever that is, that just seems like the direction it's gone in the last probably 10 years. And personally, it's been hard for me to keep up with it. And I tend to be on the little more tech side, you know, from a female, we, we tend to be, this is a tendency, you know, it's not like an all or nothing, but we tend to be less tech driven. I find you know, I don't sit around with a group of girls and talk about gear. But if I sit around with a group of guys, they're going to all talk about gear. And I'm going to be like clocked out because I don't care about which Mm -hmm. guitar pedal you're using. I don't care. But in worship and in modern worship, that's the direction it's really gone. So in some ways it's moved to me, it feels like it's moved more in the male direction because that's that's where the influence and that's where the guys have leaned into the technology and we've sort of leaned out. I don't think it has to be that way, but I think in general, um, I mean, even just personally, my own heart, I go, I want to value people over equipment. So my tendency is going to be to lean into relationship and that kind of thing and to value that more than, um, you know, learning Ableton live or learning logic, um, you know, what main stage or something like that. But, um, I don't know. I, I definitely think that's played a role. I'm curious, uh, you know, to know what you guys think about that. If, if, if that's a true thing or if you're feeling that or what's going on in that area. I'll say, um, just from being a staff writer from that perspective, um, I know that the writers they're looking to sign now Um, They're looking to sign producer writers because that way they're not having to also pay for demos to be done. Um, They get that kind of included in the right as they're writing. A lot of times people are, are working on the track simultaneously and you get done with the right and you have a right, right finish. The song is done. And then you also have a demo from that same amount of time. um, You know, that one of my, one of my lyricist friends who's a very well, um, accomplished in the industry, probably one of the most accomplished in um, CCM on the CCM side of things that is in this town, um, said to me recently, Chrissy, I'm glad I didn't just move to town because I probably wouldn't be able to get a deal right now, a publishing deal, because um, that whole producer piece is not in their skill set, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also not in my skill set. I have not worked to try to figure that side of things out. Like you said, Rach, like a lot of times if I'm in a room with a lot of 
guy writers or if we're out to dinner somewhere at a writing camp, things like that. A lot of times the conversation goes that direction about gear and, and you're right. Like I totally just check out. that kind Yeah. Of it's like if, it, if it's people or, or junk, it's not junk, but technology, you know, it's good, but I just, I'd much rather hang out with a person than a computer. Yeah. yeah that's just me. I, I just don't have a passion about that. You know, like some yeah. people are, they are super passionate about that. And I think you're right. Like not to generalize, but a lot of times that's the guys that are so passionate about that stuff. And um, part of it, yeah. like, you know, for myself, uh, I find it hard to be passionate about something I don't know about. And so I wonder if part of it too is like, cause I'm the same. I, I have not done the work to figure out how to set up a, tech stage or any of those things like I just haven't done the work to do that but I wonder if I did if I would find myself being more interested and being more inclined to have that conversation over dinner Um, so I wonder if part of it is actually just like figuring out how to educate more women about some of those things that we're able to keep up um, and to make it accessible because I think part of the problem is like it's this whole world that I've never engaged in and so I don't even know how to enter right Um, but if we actually make it accessible and we kind of break it down and figure out how we can continue to learn, then it maybe we'll end up being a little bit more passionate about it. Mm-hmm. We've got a comment um, from Misha Burley saying, I think there's a healthy way to do that. I'm a woman who loves technology, but also has a heart to connect with people. We would love to learn from you, Misha. And even you, Rach, I know you have a, a toolbox of, you know, how to set up a studio and you've done a lot of your own demos and things like that. I it's think- been interesting the last um, couple months I have a few friends that I've really just encouraged and said, you know, you're, you're spending a lot of money on demos and things and it's not that hard to just make it, I mean, to do a fully produced album, that's a whole different animal. Right. But to get something from a voice memo to the demo state where you can even make a lyric video with it and get it out. Um, I also find, I just want to throw this out that I feel like I actually get a lot of co-writes asks just based on the fact that I have a little studio up here mm-hmm. and they know I can do the demo while we're writing. It, it adds value to me as a writer. And sometimes even when I'm having like a bad writing day, I don't feel like I'm contributing that much. I know I can contribute the track or the, the mm-hmm. sonic sound that we're going for, or I can get it to a place where it's now in a, it's in a format that's accessible mm-hmm. for people to consume. And that's a, that's a pretty valuable thing. And I think to get to that point, it actually isn't that hard. You just kind of have to dive into it. And on, on one more quick note here, and then I'll, I'll mute my, my button here. But um, I have found that I'm discovering some female producers on YouTube, mm-hmm. and they talk my language better than the men do, even though they're doing the same video tutorials. It's kind of weird, but there's something the way uh, even in the same way that my husband will say something and he's an engineer mind and I'm a creative and a female and we often go because I have no idea what he's saying and he has no idea what like I actually have to explain it and this happens on YouTube too he keeps my husband is, is kind of a tech junkie so he recommends these uh, you know things for mixing and producing and stuff and I just it's like I don't get it but then I just found these two female producers and they're doing pop they're in the pop secular world but when they do their videos it clicks it's like Mm -hmm. they're speaking my language and I don't know what that is but there's just something that's kind of cool 
And it also reminds me as I'm watching and learning those videos that I'm not alone in the producer world or in the world of trying to lean into the technology and, and become a better writer that becomes more valuable through using that technology mm -hmm. and, and just jumping in. But it, it can be intimidating for sure. And uh, I'm not sure how we get it less intimidating unless you just say, I'm going to spend 30 to 45 minutes a day learning one thing, you know, and just going for it. I definitely think that's something we could develop resources to meet that need though. I really do. Um, and I think not me personally, but I could definitely help find the right people to help with that resource, you know, and I think Rach, you could, you could be a big part of that. Um, in another, on another side of things, something coming to mind right now, somebody told me some stats recently that right now, if you look at CCLI, I can't remember, but there's three or four movements that hold the positions of the top 25 or something like that. And I don't know if you've looked at it from a movement perspective, Annalie, like elevation, you know, Hillsong, whatever. Right. Um, but I think for, as an individual songwriter, a lot of times, um, we don't have opportunities necessarily to pitch for those records, to throw something in the hat to be considered unless you're part of that movement. Yeah, that's exactly it. So I did some research early on. Like if you look at the early lists, even through to the mid kind of 2000s, um, it's all these individual labels and administrators and it's just kind of a whole range like if you've got 25 songs you've got 20 different contributors in terms of publishers and and those kinds of things and now um the last top 100 list mm -hmm. um was 62 percent of those songs came from five mega churches and so we're yeah. really really streamlining um, and capital CMG is like the big administrator that everyone kind of works through. And so, so I think that's one of the factors is that increasingly it's not, you know, like in the eighties, if you look at the songs that were on the first CCLI lists, it was like a woman who didn't have any kind of, she wasn't well known and she wrote a song and she shared it with her husband and she shared it with her church. And then it just kind of slowly grew and it became popular. And now it's, you know, it, it went to number one on the CCLI list. And that's just not, for the most part, what we're seeing now. We're seeing, right. you know, it coming through Hillsong or Bethel or a big label. Um, and it's an intentional co-write. You know, the kind of organic organic rise is not what we're seeing. And so you do, I think, have to be connected to one of these big names yeah. for your stuff to get up there. Mm -hmm. And you actually, anymore, like in the past, you know, you could write a song and I've heard stories about the eighties and what it was like, how it was very community driven with the songwriters, how people would have, you know, they'd just go to work and if they got stuck, they'd go grab another friend out of another room to help them finish a song. Mm -hmm. And they wrote kind of more from this place of passion um, about the topic or about what they were experiencing. Then once they finished it, they would take it to the publisher. The publisher would, basically shop it, pitch it to several different people and see who is interested. Um, and now it's sort of the opposite. Now it's the writer has to be in the room with the artist in order to get the cut. And you basically, you need to write on what the artist wants to say, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Otherwise they're not going to use it, you know? And right. so, so I think it's, 
a lot has changed. There's not a lot of pitching songs anymore, honestly. Um, that feels like sort of a dying thing. It's more, um, you know, relationships with art artists and getting in the room to write the song with them in real time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, if I can say something to that, that was sort of the, the avenue I was going to go down, um, as far mm-hmm. as just how music has changed like that from the eighties to now. And I feel like, um, that it's almost like maybe the boys club isn't necessarily the songwriting room as much as it's who is in control of what goes to radio, because I believe that there's still a lot of churches in the smaller churches that in, in more of rural America that maybe aren't, they're still listening to radio. I mean, we, in maybe we're feeling like, Oh, radio is a dying thing, but they are still listening to radio and what the worship songs that go to radio are going to be the worship songs that they're singing. So like in that sense, who is in control of what goes to radio and what goes to those artists is going to really kind of determine what ends up on the CCLI top list. Mm -hmm. And so then it's like, okay, well then, then, then really maybe that's where the focus is, is who's sitting around the boardrooms and, and controlling, um, because look at radio right now. I feel like how many, how many women artists, how many women artists are on radio? There really is, um, is a lack of, of women artists on radio right now. There's compared to what it was in the eighties, you had the Twyla Paris, Amy Grant, you know, Dottie Rambo was cranking out all these songs for Sandy Patty and different mm-hmm. female artists. But right now it seems like, uh, men are the, the number one artists and they're the ones that you're hearing on the radio. Um, you know, and so it, it's just, an, it, it, you know, why is that? Why are, why is there not an equality in, in the Christian radio world? So that's just another question mark there. That's really fascinating. I think that's, I think you're totally on to something with the radio edge. I know even in my house, like I mentioned, uh, my dad's a pastor. And if, if I'm playing a song and he's like, Oh, I've heard this on the radio. He's so much more likely to put it, you know, to choose it for worship on Sunday or whatever, whatever that is. Like I mentioned, my supervisor actually sent a ton of work with country music radio and looking into that. So I'm hoping, I think that would be another really interesting angle to angle to go down is to look at the work she's done. And, and you're right. How do songs get, how do they get chosen to be onto the radio? Um, and then do we kind of end up with this echo chamber? Like we're used to that artist cause we've heard them. So then we like their music and then we want more music from them. And then we, you know, like, I think, I think if we can find ways to disrupt that, um, and get more women onto Christian radio. I think you're totally right that that would make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. I think I'm, some of the radio, the people making the decisions for radio, um, actually believe a misnomer that with, people don't want to listen to mm-hmm. female singers. And there is a general thing about actually like the female frequency of, of sound is more fatiguing on the ear. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just it just is because it's higher up. But uh, I was thinking, you know, I was having this conversation with my husband about like, well, they think women, you know, the primary listener on the radio is women and women don't want to listen to other women tell them things. Um, 
But the pushback on that is like our, some of our top artists in the last 10 years, five years, Adele, Lauren Daigle. I mean, you can't tell me that the world doesn't want the female voice. Like it has, it has been more on the top than it's probably ever been. I mean, some of the, the skyrocketing artists are females. So I think that that, that uh, idea that women, people don't want to listen to women on the radio is actually just, it's just fake news. You know? Right. I, I think you're, I think you're totally right about that. And what I, what I've heard about that, cause that's come up in my research too, uh, is that that's by and large a myth and can't accurately be tested because you, I mean, all of us, we want to listen to what we know. And so we listen to more men and we're like, I want to listen to more men. But if we included more women in that mix, we would probably not have that same opinion. And, and also I'm just not sure how reliable the testing that's been done on that is, but you're right that that's the myth that's going around. And so we kind of, this is what gets thrown around is women don't want to listen to women, but I think you're right. We can look everywhere and see examples of women loving listening to women. Mm. Yeah. It's all over the radio and pop music. I mean, that doesn't even hold water to me. I don't understand it. Right. And I was just talking with um, Chris Springer on the phone last night, um, just planning for this conversation who, you know, was working at integrity during the eighties and nineties. And, and he was just telling me that, you know, believe it or not, Natalie Grant is having a hard time getting on the radio. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like, you're kidding me. Like who doesn't want to listen to Natalie Grant, Mm -hmm. but that's the reality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, it's an interesting conversation to kind of pair with the songwriting conversation because often we find with these songs, they are actually two different worlds, right? Like there's not, you know, um, even Chrissy, you would have maybe experienced or to be able to shed light on this, that, that you write a song, but you're not necessarily the one who's performing it or you're performing a song that someone else wrote, right? Like that's mm-hmm. so much the culture. It's not so much that you write a song and you perform it. Um, and so interesting to see how that kind of factors into things too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be another interesting avenue for you to research. Yeah. Attitude. <laughs> um, so I don't know um, any other thoughts that you have, Emily, would be great, but I think we should talk about how we can continue to support female writers and what we can do to make a difference. Um, I'd love to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really, really significant. I think, I mean, one of the things that I've been aware of, um, so I shared this infographic, it was part of a showcase at my university and then I thought I'd just kind of share it to Facebook and and it got so much traction and so many people it started so many conversations which is really wonderful and but what I kept seeing is like whoa that's a huge surprise I didn't realize this um and people and it was a surprise to me too I thought we had low numbers of women in contemporary worship music and we always did mm-hmm. uh, I didn't realize that our numbers were getting smaller and smaller mm-hmm. um and so I think the kind of first step is exactly what's happening right now, which is awareness and what's happening by kind of putting the data out there and getting the conversation started is we're like, actually, this is something we need to think about. I think, um, you know, I see this, I work with my denomination is putting out a hymnal. And so I'm involved in that. And I, what I see is people being like, Oh, I thought it was 2020 and we were pretty good on the front of having women songwriters. And then you look at the data and you're like, Oh, we're not good at that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think this first, this first step is just looking at the data and realizing we actually are not doing a great job. Mm -hmm. There's a lot further to go. um, And then getting involved with 
and then so, so starting the conversation, I think is the first thing. Um, and then off of that, hearing each other's stories, hearing women's stories, hearing men's stories, talking to them, what, how do they perceive this discussion? Um, I think that's really the first thing is just to keep talking. And so I'm so grateful that like, I didn't start the conversation. You folks at Brave Worship have been doing this and have been talking about this. And that's so amazing to, to kind of witness and to get to be part of. Um, and so all of the work that you're doing, I think, is just huge. But then I think we also see it with things like the Women Who Worship event that Capital CMG kind of sponsored last year, those kinds of initiatives um, where it's like, let's get women in the room together. Let's stop doing this 92 men and eight women. Let's get a room of 100 women and see what comes out of that. Um, I think that could be really, really productive, too. Um, but yeah, I really think awareness is the first thing. Now, how many worship pastors have seen this data and are like, oh, this is something I need to think of on Sunday morning. And if they think about it on Sunday morning, then the numbers will change. Um, and so I think I think that's kind of one of the big first steps. But I'm curious for those of you involved in Brave, Brave Worship who's, who have been doing this longer than I have, what you've found to be working too. I think one thing, well, that comes to mind for me is just trying to as much as possible, put resources and encouragement in the hearts of women. So what that's looked like from my perspective, um, what is, um, you know, the book and the courses and those types of things. And then just, um, the phone calls, you know, the late night phone calls, like, I can't keep doing this. Like, I, I'm not sure how to keep going and just being able to, answer that and, and say, you can actually do this. Like, yes, this is a hard season, especially if they have little ones. Yes, it's a hard season, but it doesn't have to stop. You know, here's windows. You can do it. How about throw, um, here's another just super basic thing that I've had many conversations about, but if you know, you're going to have a right, throw something in the crock pot in the morning. It's just these super practical, um, advice you know that I think that's I feel like what we've done um from our perspective and and then creating opportunity like you said and I was actually part of those um all those women who worship events like you mentioned um but we've done some of that as brave worship too um we've done some writing days some writing trips um really wanting to help foster relationship because that's where it all comes back to, you know, it all comes back to relationship. And, and if people have a friend, if some girls have a friend that they see and know that was able to do something, then it encourages them that they can do it too. And, um, and yeah, Rachel, you mentioned something about, um, we don't write a lot with one another. I think that's a really important thing to be thinking about too, making sure that we get in the room with one another and um, there's just, you know, increasing the number through resourcing and encouraging, I think is a basic thing that we can help with um, from brave worship side of things. I think that's, that's really interesting what you're saying. What I've, one of the kind of research aspects of research that I've heard recently is about women, um, or I mean, anyone, it's really hard to do something if you can't see yourself at the finish line. And if you don't have people who finished the race before you, you don't know what the finish line looks like. Mm -hmm. Right. And so 
for women songwriters, if you don't have, like you've mentioned, I know Chrissy, the importance of mentoring and being a role model. If you don't have people who you can look to and be like, I want to be like them, they made it in this industry, then it's just so hard to see yourself at the finish line. And then it's just hard to have the motivation and to know, you know, how to keep navigating this journey. Um, and so I think that's, that's totally part of it is making those connections and being like, look, you can do it. You can make it in this industry. Here are other women who have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I can say something for me too, is just um, keeping in mind that, that um, if we keep looking at CCLI as the end all be all like that, that could be discouraging, but I mean, just keeping it in perspective that it really matters in the church we're in. And it matters um, that, that this, this can be a grassroots uh, movement where we're, you know, we just, if we just keep doing it where we are, Mm -hmm. um, then just because our church our church may be singing our songs, uh, but our church may not be, it's not going to add to that CCLI top 25, but that doesn't mean that there aren't churches around the country who are singing women's songs. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we all, we have to keep that perspective that, that it still matters where we are. And, right. um, and that, that top 25 is not going to control, you know, what we're doing. Thank you so much for saying that. I think that is just so important and such an important reminder. And and to keep us grounded in why we're writing this, right? We're not writing to get to number one on CCLI. And if that happens, and that's that's amazing. But we're writing to worship and we're writing to praise God. And we're writing for all those other reasons. And that has to be what keeps us grounded. Um, and, and the song that you write in your bedroom that doesn't leave your bedroom is an amazing act of praise and mm-hmm. is an act of a woman's voice being lifted to God. And that is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's absolutely true. And I think what you what you pointed out, Stacy, is being in an environment in a church where, um, you know, where your songwriting is embraced and um, yes. appreciated. That's that is huge too. I've gotten a lot of calls, honestly, from girls that are not able to, um, you know, feed their church family with the songs birthed in their heart, and that is heartbreaking too. So I think you're right, though. There are churches that are really supporting that and movements that are really supporting that. And so, um, you know, just looking for outlets and and places where you can share. You're 100% right. Doesn't have to be on that huge church scale. Most Mm -hmm. of them aren't. Most of them aren't. Most of mine aren't for sure, too. I think everybody would say the same thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And I mean, if you think about it, it, it's those mega churches that are going to affect the, um, you know, those lists, too. And then when you've got somebody in the chat said, you know, there are a lot of churches that are still under 100 people. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe they're not necessarily contributing a lot to that list. But if their women are supported and they're singing their women's songs, then great then it's making a huge impact in their community. It is. That's a big deal. Well, I wonder how many songs could be actually targeted for that too. Like write a song that you could do with four chords and just a guitar and a vocal or a piano and a vocal. Or, I mean, I've worked at a church that was like less than a hundred and the resources you have, you're like, you're hoping that your drummer can count to four. You're hoping that the guitar player like put the capo in the right spot and you're in the same key. And yet we have all these, uh, music that's gotten more and more, I mean, it hasn't gotten more complicated, but it has. But I wonder if we, um, 
kind of zeroed in on that and focused writing for some churches to make it really accessible and really available and stripped down versions so that they know how to actually grab a hold of it and make it their own. And instead of writing, uh, you know, I, I love big songs just like anybody and shout to the Lord is a great example of a huge song with a big range. But what would happen if we wrote like amazing songs that were an octave so that people with average voices could lift up on average praise, you know? Well, and I think, honestly, Rach, I think a lot is about to change when we get back to church. I think this time, I've sensed it, honestly, and and I know I've had several conversations with friends just thinking it's gotten so produced. It's gotten so, you know, lights and fog and all this stuff. Like, surely at some point this is going to change. And I think when we get back to church, I think it'll be shocking to hear, like, how loud everything is and how like it's going to be, we haven't experienced anything like that for so long um, that I think the church is naturally going to simplify things. I really do. (laughs) Thank you for wondering if there are fog machines in heaven. Thank you, Rach. (laughs) You guys have any more questions? Anybody want to type any more uh, questions in the chat? Um, we'll give you just a minute or two if you have any more thoughts you want to share. Um, but it's certainly a conversation worth having, worth starting, and worth continuing. So um, I'm really thankful that we've had this time together. You too, Rach and Stace, do you have any more uh, last thoughts? I have one just last thought, and it was um, we can take this data and we can jump into a victim mindset if we want to. But I would, I hope that we'll instead see the data and it would actually put a fire yeah. in our belly. Not, not of anger, but of actually joy, of actually anchoring into the very purpose and the meaning and the hope and the calling and the assignment that God's given us. And instead, let it propel us and empower us. Because the last thing we need to do is go, Oh, it's just, oh, poor, like the poor me women are so, you know, that, that's not it. Like, this is actually a great foundation to provide for us to launch us into our purpose and our calling Mm -hmm. and our assignments as songwriters. And if we'll start thinking of it as an assignment, then we'll get to work and we won't worry about all the outcomes. We'll get to work doing what God has created us to do. And that's so important. And somebody's got to, somebody's got to go first, you know, somebody's got to clear the path and the path clearer, um, a lot of times has more work than the ones that come behind. And so, you know, if you have one bad experience, go move forward, keep clearing the path. It's don't let these things shut you down. And, and, um, like Rachel said, get in that victim mindset, because if you do, there's a bunch of women behind you that won't be able to walk that part of the path. So keep going. Stace? Yeah, and my my last thought on it would be just also to remember, though, how far we have come. Mm -hmm. um, That that, that it's not, I I really don't believe it's getting worse, per se, um, because just from from the experiences and, and even just like talking to Chris and getting the perspective of that he, in the early 90s, before Darlene Check came along, he wanted their one of the integrity projects to be led by a woman and the executives in the room said, we can't do that. Half the country's 
that we sell records to will not buy a record led by a woman. And it didn't happen. And Darlene Check, really, that that's even an amazing story of how that album actually happened with her leading it. And it changed so many things and for women. And look how far we have come that that so many of us are leading worship. Uh, you know, we are the main worship leaders at a congregation and, and we are singing songs that we have collaborated on. And I see a lot of collaboration happening. Um, and that, that is in the data and that is encouraging. Um, and just so, so that excites me that I don't, I, in a lot of ways, don't see us going backwards. Maybe there are areas, there's always areas that can be improved, but Mm -hmm. just, um, rejoicing in that, that, that how far we have come. And I think that's exactly like what we've been talking about is, is what we can do with this data is be reminded that we are here to support each other. Um, and that like even this brave worship family that I've seen and other women songwriters, like even following them on Instagram, some of the ones that are on the top 25 list, the encouragement and the support is just phenomenal, even among different churches and different kind of areas. And so I think that's, I think that's exactly it. Like what we're doing here is the beginning of it. And if we continue to support each other and send words of encouragement and listen and collaborate um, and pray together, like that's, that's what we're called to do and that's what we're doing. And so I think we just keep doing that good work. Um, Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for um, joining us. Annalie, thank you for the research that you're doing. And yes, um, thank you. It's awesome. Yes. And the awareness that you're bringing to this um, subject. So, well, thank you for all of your work and for letting me, letting me join you today. This has been really, really wonderful. Thanks for listening to the Brave Podcast, Awakening Dreams, Purpose, and Songs. You can visit braveworship.com to learn more about how you can join one of the upcoming Brave Coffees in your local area. We'd love to connect with you on Instagram at Brave Worship and on Facebook at Brave Worship page. We'd also love for you to join us at our next songwriting event or missions trip. And you can stay up to date on all of those things and the latest happenings when you sign up for our newsletter at braveworship.com. The times I've grown most as a songwriter are the times I've had mentors showing me the way. If you're looking to grow as a songwriter, we're now accepting applications for our Worship Songwriter Mentorship. Now, it's available only a few times each year. The Worship Songwriter Mentorship is a songwriting intensive that will help you craft impactful worship songs. It's a course created by Dove Award-winning and Grammy-nominated, drumroll here please, (laughs) our founder, pro songwriter Chrissy Nordoff. It's a small group community, and it's led by other songwriters over the course of nine weeks. It's an intensive course and a small group co-writing environment, and that means you'll be added to a special group of about 12 writers, give or take. Each group is led by experienced songwriters, some of them my dear, dear friends, and I've even gotten to lead a group or two. Rachel here, by the way. We love the church, and we love to champion fellow worship songwriters just like yourself. In this mentorship, you'll learn how to write songs for you and your congregation, You'll go deeper in your intimacy with Jesus. You'll get the tools needed to help craft songs more easily and never run out of creative ideas. Okay, I know it sounds too good to be true, but trust me, this course is a game changer. 
You'll learn how to leverage your unique songwriting personality and connect with other like-minded writers in a meaningful way. Truly, I can't think of another course, group of people, community that has impacted my songwriting the way that this mentorship has. If you're wanting to take the next steps in your songwriting journey, then apply now at the link in our show notes. We hope to see you there.